today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. minds just flying, trying to imagine all of these things. But I love what he says right there at, at the very end. That, that speaks to it right there. The appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Overwhelming, overpowering, indescribable, I think. Ezekiel's doing his best. It's kind of like John in the book of Revelation. John starts using these descriptors, and you think, man, what, what exactly is he seeing on those things? I think he's just trying to pull anything he can to try and get a picture of what's going on. And that's what we see here. Ezekiel can be a challenging and overwhelming study. As Pastor David takes on this book detailing Ezekiel's prophetic vision, we are reminded of the inadequacy of language. If you imagine the most magnificent thing you've ever seen and try to put it into words, you might get a sense of the challenge Ezekiel faced. Even with divine guidance, it's clear that the words he wrote can't come close to capturing the scope of glory and wonder he encountered in the vision God gave him. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1 as he begins his message, Coming Destruction, Promised Restoration. Again, Ezekiel is one of those Old Testament books, prophetic book that's laid out actually very well. Can really be divided up into some pretty clear sections or definitions throughout the the entirety of the book. 48 chapters long, there's a lot of material within the book of Ezekiel, written primarily to three separate distinct groups. Written to those that are in exile, even the Jews that are in exile, even right now, during Ezekiel's writing, exile in Babylon is one group, written also to the Jews that are still back in Jerusalem that have not been exiled to Babylon yet. Uh, That's the second group. And then the third group is actually speaking to the nations that are around Israel or around Judah. And again, God's message to them during this time frame. The, the writing of the book of Ezekiel, they believe, is probably around 10 years before the final fall of Jerusalem. If you remember in some of our earlier studies, we talked that there were actually three exile times uh, as Babylon came down to Judah, took some of the uh, surrounding cities and villages of Jerusalem, took uh, some of them uh, away into exile. Then they finally came to Jerusalem. They took some at that point in time, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, in that second exile. Uh, Ezekiel is believed to be one of the ones also taken during that second time of exile. But right now, when we look at what's going on in Jerusalem itself, Jerusalem now is uh, pretty much, they've, they've fortified the city, they're, they're standing pat. They believe that they've, uh, man, they've, 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 they've resisted 
resisted two different attacks for the Babylonians. They believe that they're pretty secure at this point in time. And so we're going to see that kind of an attitude as we look at God's message to the people of Jerusalem as we look through this. Now, when we divide the book up, you look at chapters 1, 2, and 3, pretty much that deals with the call of Ezekiel to be a spokesman of God to the people of Israel, to, uh, again, the, the ones that are being held in captivity, as well as those that still remain there in Jerusalem. The, a big section, chapters 4 through 24, that's the mass of the message that God gave to Ezekiel to give to the people of Israel. Now, again, uh, you understand there were two kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. By this time, the northern kingdom has been obliterated by the Assyrians. So as I speak tonight, and I keep saying Israel, understand I'm talking about the people that remain in Judah. They're still part of the uh, Israel nation, though they are from Judah, the southern kingdom. So again, bear with me on that. I, I think it just makes sense, still sense that they are still a part of Israel, though we are talking of the southern kingdom. So chapters 4 through 24, God's message that that Ezekiel speaks to that southern kingdom, both those that are in captivity as well as those that are still in Jerusalem. Chapters 25 to 32, that's God's message to the foreign nations, the nations that surround Israel. And then chapters 33 to 48, that's pretty much the coming deliverance, the restoration through the coming of Messiah, the rebuilding of the temple, the kingdom of God at the end of the ages, those chapters. So we, you know, a lot of people speak about uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38 and the great battles that are going. That's all part of that end time scenario. We'll touch on that a little bit tonight. Again, we're not going to have enough time to be able to go into depth on those. Now, the book opens with Ezekiel. Ezekiel already uh, in captivity in Babylon. Uh, he's actually sitting uh, on the shores of a canal, uh, Kabar, at, at this point in time. Uh, we know, again, because he was part of that earlier exile, right now a lot of the scholars figure that, as I said, about 10 years prior to the final fall of Jerusalem. So we're looking at a time frame of around uh, 597 B.C. Now, they, uh, Ezekiel is only about 30 years of age at this time, but we do find out now that God is using him, even as a young man, to speak in a very powerful, a very prophetic way to the people there, uh, again, to, to the people of Israel. Uh, he seems to be serving at this point in time as a type of a, a counselor to the exiles, uh, a, a, a religious uh, uh, overseer, uh, kind of in the, in the form, in the, in the manner of like being a pastor or a rabbi to them during this time. They're living in a colony by themselves there in Babylon. They had a lot of freedom while they were in Babylon. Actually, they were being taken captive into another nation. They actually had a lot of freedom. They were in their own colony at this point in time. Now, the opening passages, there's this account of the vision that brought Ezekiel to this prophetic calling. Ezekiel describes his vision as this elaborate, this complex, 
complex uh, image. I've seen people try to draw this out, and it's just kind of difficult, all that he's seeing, to be able to actually put that on uh, pen and ink or or paint on, on paper. It primarily is speaking about the majesty and the greatness and the power and the authority of God Almighty. He sees this vision. Look here in chapter one, down in verse five. He says, from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. Uh, Their appearance, they had the likeness of man. They had four faces. They had four wings. Their legs were straight. The soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. Verse 8, the hands of a man were under their wings on four sides. So they had four arms and four wings. Uh, Each one of them, they had four faces. The wings touched each other. The creatures didn't turn uh, as they went. They just went forward. Again, uh, one was of of their faces uh, in verse 10, the face of a man. There was the face of a lion. There was a face of an ox, and there was a face of an eagle. So again, these bizarre-looking creatures that definitely got his attention. Down in verse 13, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. So there was this brightness, there's just this glow that was going around them that, uh, again, just commanded his attention of all that was going on. And then there's these wheels. Underneath them, there's these wheels, and it speaks about uh, there was a wheel on the earth beside each living creature, verse 15 tells us. And then uh, in verse 16, the appearance of the wheels or workings like the color of burl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they moved, they went toward any one of four directions. They didn't turn aside where they went. As far as their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. Their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. And on and on this this description goes. It pretty soon gets to be pretty mind-boggling. Then you get down in verse 22. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of these living creatures was the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over the heads. Under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, one toward each other. Each one had two, which covered uh, one side, and, and uh, and one had two, which covered the other side of the body. And when they went... I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And verse 25, and then a voice came from above the firmament, above their heads was the likeness of a throne, down in verse 26 in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw as it were the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire with brightness all around like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Wow. I mean, he's using so many descriptors here. It's like our our mind's just flying, trying to imagine all of these things. But I love what he says right there at at the very end. That that speaks to it right there. The appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Overwhelming. 
overpowering, indescribable, I think. Ezekiel's doing his best. It's kind of like John in the book of Revelation. John starts using these descriptors, and you think, man, what, what exactly is he seeing on those things? I think he's just trying to pull anything he can to try and get a picture of what's going on. And that's what we see here. Chapter one closes then with the prophet being so overwhelmed by the vision that he sees that he falls on his face. And then chapter two opens with a voice calling to him saying, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And check verse number two. Then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. They are impudent. They are stubborn children. I'm sending you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among you. Hey, I want to call you into ministry and, and, and here's your ministry. I'm gonna call you to a church where the people are just, man, they're irritable. They don't wanna listen to me at all. They're doing their own thing. They're so deep in the world, they have no idea what true spirituality is about. They have no idea what walking in Christ is about. And I'm gonna send you as their pastor. Would you have any volunteers for that one? I don't know if you noticed or not, but Ezekiel didn't volunteer. It was God that came and took him and revealed himself to him. And then the spirit entered me and, and literally set me on my feet. And I said, this is, what, this is what's gonna happen. I'm calling you for this. Wow, what an awesome thing that would have been. Absolutely frightening, but absolutely exhilarating at the same time. If in the still of the night, you hear God's gentle, soft voice saying, David, I want you to go to such and such. I want you to minister to these people. I want you to be there for a season, for a time. This is the word that I want to speak to you. And you think, okay, Lord, that's great. I, I think that's you. I hope that's you. But when it comes at you like this, there's no question about this. In, in, one, in, in one sense, I wish that every time that God wanted me to do something, he would kind of show up like this. And there'd be no doubt, okay, God, this is where you want us to go. But let's face it, God doesn't do that very often, only on very rare occasions. But he did it for Ezekiel. And I think that he did it for Ezekiel that way because Ezekiel, as the old saying goes, is going to have a tough row to hoe. It's going to be a tough ministry. It's going to be a lot of pushback for him. And there's not going to be very many people that are going to listen to this message. He had to know for certain this is God calling him and nothing less. Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites. They're rebellious. They've rebelled against me. Whether they listen or fail to listen, they're just a rebellious house. But at least they'll know that a prophet has been among them. 
Now, chapter 2 then ends, chapter 3 begins with Ezekiel being handed the scroll, and on the scroll that we find at the end of chapter 2, on that scroll is written on it, lamentations and mourning and woe. Here's your message, Ezekiel. This is what I want you to share with him. Then verse chapter 3, moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly, fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. And so I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Well, as soon as you read this, you've got to be reminded of going over to the book of Revelation. And remember, John was given a scroll and the angel told him to eat that scroll. And it said that when he took that scroll in, it was sweetness, but then it was bitterness in his belly. This doesn't say anything about what happened to the belly, but I think about what, what, what is he eating? He's eating the word of God. He's, he's consuming the word of God. It's going to be literally a part of him. And how important the word of God needs to be a part of our life. Not just something that, that's over here, and yes, I'm, I'm acquainted with it, I'm uh, semi-familiar with it, but when it is really a part of our life, that's when God can use us, and he can use us, again, to, to the greatest uh, benefit for his kingdom's work. Beloved, if we're not familiar with the word, if we're not, a, not, not only just acquainted, but to the point that the word is literally a part of us, we're a vessel that, that's only partially usable. The more we have the word in our hearts, in our minds, as part of who we are, the greater use will be for the kingdom of God. The, again, the Holy Spirit can, man, bring back to mind those verses that we've studied, that, that we've devoured, that we've eaten, that we've digested into our own system. But if we're not familiar with it, we're not gonna be as usable for the kingdom. So he eats the scroll, and, and that's, the, again, the, the direction that he goes. Giving him the opportunity, God is giving him the opportunity here to be used through his word. Now, the people who were left in Jerusalem after that first and that second exile, that first and second captivity, they pretty much felt that they, they, they were much better off being there in Jerusalem than their brothers who had been taken into captivity there in Babylon. At least that's what they thought. But the problem was those that were in Babylon, for the most part, they were doing pretty good. While they were in Babylon, like I said, they had their own colony. Things were, again, they were able to take care of things. We, if you look at the history of that, there was many of them that bought houses while they were there. They were raising their families while they were there. Uh, again, not too bad. But in Jerusalem, they began, again, being a city that was sieged about surrounded about by the Babylonians. Starvation started coming in. Depression started coming in. There was no freedom at all. They were captive in their own freedoms. Think about that for a moment. Captive within their own freedoms. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of people even today Oh, I'm free. I can go do this and I can go do this. You know, God, uh, I, I don't worry about being under God's control. I'm under my control. I'm a free individual. And when in reality, no, they're, 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 they're captive 
and their own freedoms. There's no, there's no true freedom in that because they're bound by the desires of their own flesh, the pull of the world, the deceitfulness of the enemy. They're bound by those things rather than truly being free in Christ. Those that were in Jerusalem thought everything was good. Everything was doing well. They thought that because they were part of the Hebrew children that God was going to just continually protect them. Hey, he's, he's, he's seen us through these two attacks. Surely he'll see us through all of them. Their attitude was that because they were the anointed of God, that they'd never see destruction. Well, Ezekiel had the job of going up and trying to wake them up to be able to understand that God would not be mocked, that whatever a man sowed, that is what he's going to reap. And so that was Ezekiel's call. Ezekiel's message was to confirm the fact that even though they felt that they were safe at their current time, destruction and desolation were going to come. Jerusalem was going to be totally destroyed, and those that were there were either going to be killed or taken into captivity themselves. In chapter 4, the Lord begins to instruct Ezekiel on some really strange symbolic actions that he's going to do. He's going to be, again, the object lesson. Uh, those of you that, that are teachers, whether it be a Sunday school teacher or a, a school teacher or homeschool teacher, you know that object lessons, children usually, you know, you can catch that a whole lot better when there's an object lesson. Well, Ezekiel himself became the object lesson in some of these. In chapter four, verses one to three, he was to draw on a piece of tile a picture of Jerusalem, set it up and, and put a little siege. He was to make a little model of like Jerusalem with a siege all around it with the ramps going up. And again, they were supposed to be see, see that again as uh, again, what was going to happen to them. They were, he was to put it in a prominent place that uh, the people there could see what was going on. In verses uh, four through eight, here was a really good one. Again, part of the call of ministry, uh, fortunately not for me, but it was for Ezekiel. He was supposed to lay on his left side for a period of time each day for over a year, 390 days, as a matter of fact. He had to lay on his left side, and then after he finished that, he had to flip over, go to his right side, and do that for 40 more days. Now, Ezekiel, uh, again, it's explained that for each day he laid on his left side, northern Israel would be in captivity for one year. And for each day he laid on his right side, the southern kingdom, Judah, would spend a year in captivity. Now, verses 9 through 7, this whole thing starts getting even weirder. He was to make for himself this cake, these cakes to eat of these various grains. He had to measure them out precisely, as well as he had to ration them off every day. And rationing off is water each day. The cakes, God said, I want you to take these cakes, put them together with all these grains, and then I want you to take human excrement and use that as the fuel for your fire to bake these little cakes. Uh, how many of you feel called to ministry? Anybody yet? Okay, uh, and he, he cried out to God. He said, Lord, please, I, I, I've never profaned myself. I've never done, you know, eaten anything detestable. I've, I've never gone away from my kosher diet. He just 
pleaded with the Lord. And so uh, the Lord relented and allowed him to use cow dung instead. So uh, it was still the, the call. But again, he was, he was that object lesson to Israel, again, of, of the filth that they have taken into themselves, that they were going to be at a point of, of literal destitution and, and, and literally starvation there in Jerusalem. Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so... Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.